Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Waiting for Christmas, and so boys and girls and parents, uh, waiting for Christmas. Wait, and that's kind of my theme, the topic, what I want to share. I just want to take a few minutes to, of, of your Christmas Eve to bring reflection on this. And, and I'm just going to say this. I hope that you and your family, whatever context you are in, whether tonight, tomorrow, sometimes Christmas is uh, Christmas Day in the evening with, with whoever you might be with, uh, or Boxing Day or whenever it lands on, but encourage you to take the opportunity, even if you have unsaved loved ones, if they would... Maybe ask permission if you are in their place, but if they would give the grace to be able to allow you to just read, and you don't have to read every Christmas story in detail, like you don't have to go back to Micah and you know Isaiah and, and do every Christmas story so that the people are kind of, oh. Um, you usually can do it in about two or three minutes to read the Christmas story and to just bring a reflection on that at Christmas time. Encourage you to do that. With your family, we were privileged to do that a couple of years, a couple of years ago, two weeks ago. It seems like years now. Uh, we were down with our granddaughter uh, down in Florida, our son and, and daughter-in-law, and we had Christmas with them down there. And so we've created the tradition. They turn to Papa, and we open the scriptures and we share. And of course, our little Evangeline, she's two and a half years old. She just, you know, she sees all the gifts and she just like wants to attack. But it's like slow it down, wait. <laughs> you know, there's something about. Delayed gratification, right? Just slow it down. Tough on a two-year-old. It's tough on some of us adults. Slow it down. Just wait. What's the purpose? What's the meaning of the day? And to take the time, deeming, maybe dialogue, ask some questions. And I open up a children's book. She sits in my lap. And we just... just the, the, the story really does get broken up with, you know, doggy, cat, you know, stuff like that. But um, we get the just of the story. Waiting for Christmas. So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. Waiting for Christmas. Uh, Do you remember when it was so difficult to wait for Christmas? I do. I remember as a boy that uh, those last few days drove me nuts. And some people, they start the countdown like on Boxing Day for next Christmas. Uh, It's just like, oh. But you know, when it gets down to the day or two before Christmas, the day, like today, and that's why I want to talk about it. Today's Christmas Eve. It's like, how long? How many hours? And then going to bed and, you know, struggling, sleeping because you're excited about the next day and whatever it might hold or whenever you celebrate it. And so waiting for Christmas. Um, particularly children can have a hard time waiting. Here are some actual letters that were written to Santa. So I pulled off four letters. Four letters actually written to Santa. Here it is. Dear Santa Claus, when you come to my house, there will be cookies for you. But if you are real hungry, you can use our phone and order a pizza to go. That was a real letter. Here's another real letter that came in. Dear Santa, I want a puppy. I want a playhouse. Thank you. I've been good most of the time. Sometimes I'm wild. Whatever they heard that from. Dear Santa, this is from a four-year-old. I'll take anything because I haven't been that good. <laughs> and dear Santa, I'm not going to ask for a lot. Here's my list. The Etch-a-Sketch 
animator, two packs of number two pencils, Crayola fat markers, and a big gift. My own TV. Well, maybe you could drop the pencils. I don't want to be really selfish. <laughs> That's funny. So Christmas is associated frequently with waiting. Waiting. I, again, there's, I remember that being the case for me as a young boy, waiting. I guess uh, the real question is for us, what are you waiting for this Christmas? Are you longing for anything as we come up to Christmas? What are you expecting to receive? I think it's good to wait and expect and anticipate something this Christmas. And I'm not necessarily referring to something you can unwrap. I'm referring to something more. What is it that you are expecting? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for something? Are you looking forward to anything special? Or not? You've given up. In the Gospel of Luke, we come across two characters that make their appearance in the final acts of the Christmas drama. It's a man, it's a woman. His name is Simeon, her name is Anna. They're up in years, and really if we were to describe these two people, waiting for Christmas would really describe it well. Simeon and Anna. Now, Simeon and Anna, Anna don't really appear in nativity scenes. Uh, I'm hard-pressed to remember any, any uh, cantatas or Christmas productions that I've seen or been a part of where they had Anna and Simeon as any lead roles in any of the Christmas pageants. Uh, and yet, these two people, Anna and Simeon, were waiting for something. Actually, they were waiting for someone at Christmas. They were waiting for someone. And so let's just open our hearts to what that might look like this morning. So, Father, we just pray, we just bow before you, and I ask that, God, you would take the story. I, I desire this morning not just to do the same old, same old. My heart's desire is to see something of the Christmas story that we maybe haven't looked at, at least not from this angle. That, Lord, you would bring a, a level of wonder to our hearts because he is wonderful. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be a sense, maybe even not just wonder, but of a fullness of wonder that as we wait for Christ, there would be that wonder. So, Lord, let that mark our heart. I pray that you would speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's, let's look at this. Um, Luke describes this waiting from Anna and Simeon, this expectation. The word from the Greek means waiting. Anna and Simeon were waiting for something. They were waiting for someone. The the picture here is waiting with expectation for a coming Messiah. They were literally alert to his appearance, ready to welcome him, waiting. It's almost like you're looking out the window waiting for somebody in the next day or two, right? They're, is your family coming? Are they coming? You're kind of checking the window, and, and you can hardly wait. When you see them drive up, you know, you're ready to open the door. You're ready to embrace whoever's coming. You haven't seen them for a while. I know I was talking to someone here. Their loved ones are visiting uh, this last week, and they, they haven't been together for three years. And, and I could just anticipate the, the joy it was to be able to greet each other, hug each other, and to start to get caught up. That excitement is the same excitement 
I'm going to even suggest it was even greater with these two people, Simeon and Anna. It's an alert to his appearance, ready to welcome him. You're at the door and you can hardly wait. When you see them pull up, you're just ready to run out and embrace. That's the picture of the waiting. Not just like, oh man, when's it coming? You know, I want to get this over with. It's not that waiting. It's an anticipation, a readiness, an alertness for his coming. Let's first of all talk about Simeon. You'll find this in Luke chapter 2. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me. To Luke chapter 2, that is where primarily we make reference to the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2. I'm not going to read the story. We did that, the purpose of doing that little um, uh, vignette where uh, it was from Stephen Curtis Chapman. A number of years ago, his kids put that little play. We saw it on the video, the little Christmas story. Uh, I'm not going to repeat that. I want to look and focus on this waiting of these two people. What were they waiting for? Because I think this directly relates to so many. Simeon. So we pick it up, Luke chapter 2. If you have it there, we're going to go down to verse 25. We are introduced to Simeon here. Verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. Now here it is. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. There it is. He was waiting. This guy is spending his time waiting for the consolation of of Israel. The word consolation is where we get the word console. You console. The word make reference. A synonym would be comfort. He's waiting for Israel to be comforted. So when you need comfort, it usually means there's anxiety, there's stress, there's something wrong, and you need comfort. And that was true with Israel. The nation of Israel had not heard from God for many, many years. Now, I'm just going to pause here for a second because if you've been a follower of Jesus for a number of years, we're going to have a hard time understanding that. For instance, um, even right here in the service already, the Holy Spirit has been already consoling me. When we were singing our songs, right from the first song, which was a great one, no one, we're going to, we're going to use that, Pastor Daniel. That's the first time I've heard that song. But that is just right onto the theme that we're going to start next week about holy. What does it mean, holy God? And I believe one of the fundamental things that is happening today in, the, in, in this era that we live in is we are breaking the first and second commandment unknowingly when we've placed things subtly up beside a holy God. We have often treated him as our buddy and our friend, and it's, there's, there's, there's truth. He is a friend a friend of God, but he is holy. What does that mean? And we're going to embrace that And so next Sunday. But having said that, uh, this morning when we sang, his presence, he was present. His Holy Spirit was present. Uh, you know, I like to get up in the morning and I like to welcome Holy Spirit to my day's activities. Uh, when I go to bed at night, I like to give thanks to him who is with me. He abides with me. Emmanuel, God with us, he abides with me. Uh, he's not a distant God. He's not a foreign God. He doesn't live out there somewhere. Uh, he's chosen to dwell among his people. I don't know, and I can't remember what it was like for him not to dwell in me. I can't remember. I, I, I know what it was, the joy of my salvation. I can remember that. I can remember Moments and times where he manifests himself in my life. But to not have him. I, I say that. Can Imagine living 
for decades and decades, your, you, your parents, your grandparents, having not known the presence of Holy Spirit. We don't know what that's like because he lives and abides among his people today. But he didn't then. Back in the Old Testament, before Jesus came and then went to be with the Father and sent his comforter, his spirit, before then, he would come on people at moments in time. His spirit would come upon, but would lift because there was no indwelling, because we were separated. There was no, there was no bridge for our sins. So that's why they could not have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The New Testament, that's the thing, what we embrace. I can't imagine it. I've actually, last night and this morning when I was thinking about this, I stopped and I thought, what would it have been like to not have a realization, his spirit at work in me? And, and uh, I don't know. For decades, actually for centuries, it was silent. The presence of God that me and you have come to love and enjoy was not there. It was not there. Okay, I, the gravity of that just grips me. The people were under Roman rule. They had lost their political independence. They were living under the fear of a wicked king. I don't know why they ever called him Herod the Great, but he was a wicked king. And many were wondering when the Messiah, the one who would free them, would come. That's why they were so bent on they needed a, a literal king and they wanted to make Jesus a literal king and Jesus was talking about a kingdom to come and they got all confused about that but they were so longing for a Messiah. They were waiting for this. This is the backdrop of Simeon. Now, let's bring it up to speed. Luke chapter 2 verse 25 again. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous, devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel because all those years there was nothing. It was oppression, oppression, oppression. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Verse 26 shows us that Simeon had good reason for the hope that he had. In verse 26 it says, It had been revealed to him by Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He was waiting for the comfort Christ would bring. Among Jews of Simeon's day, one of the popular titles for Messiah was Comforter. They referred to him as the Comforter would come. Like some of the Christmas songs we've sang and have been singing over this season, longing for the comfort of our Messiah. It strikes me that this comfort, the desire for comfort, is a universal human need. We all struggle. We all struggle with loneliness. We all struggle with emptiness, insecurities, even desperation. In fact, the Christmas season perhaps is one of the major crisis times of the year for depression, feeling so Lonely. The Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go to the temple courts at a specific time, a specific moment, specific place. He goes there at that under the prompting. That's why the scripture twice mentions the Holy Spirit was prompting him. Go, and so he was sensitive, listening, and off he moved. He went to the temple, and he went to a certain place. And there, at that precise moment, met Joseph and Mary, who were bringing Jesus, their infant, they believe he was maybe about six weeks old at the time. And Simeon looked at baby Jesus, six weeks old, and knew at that moment 
everything he was waiting for had just been fulfilled right there. He was looking at it. Could not have, that would have been amazing for him. He was looking at it right there in baby form. Did not know what it was going to look like. Did not know ahead of time. He just knew that the Messiah would be revealed before he died. He was to go to the temple. And then when he laid his eyes on that baby, boom. He's it. He's it. And he announced Emmanuel. Here he was, God with us, to make everything right, to provide significance, his presence. He would be the antidote for rejection, fear, loneliness. He was the answer. Verse 28 of chapter 2 of Luke, Simeon reached down and takes Jesus from Mary's arms and begins to praise God. Now, I, I'm, I'm again a very visual person. Uh, you may notice that when I, when I share and speak. I, I try to, to paint pictures because I'm very visual myself. I, that scene is a little alarming for me. Imagine if you're Mary, young Mary, little baby. He's only six weeks old. And the strange old guy wants to take him from your arms. Right? I was just thinking, hmm, I don't know. It's just kind of creepy in so many ways. We don't necessarily get that. There was obviously something that just stirred their heart because it doesn't say he wrestled the baby from their arms. It says he received the baby, took the baby, and the Bible says he praised God. Praised God. He had been waiting for comfort. Maybe that is key to someone here this morning. You've been waiting for something. You need comfort. You need to be consoled. You need that there is hope, something beyond the situation you're presently facing. You need God as your comforter. The second one I want to talk, and we'll just close with Anna, because she is the last one I want to share, because Anna, again, is not a person that we often talk about, but she is in the Christmas story. And Anna's not waiting for comfort. Anna's waiting for something very different. Anna's waiting for forgiveness. Uh, she's anticipating her husband has died. Actually, he had died many years before. When she was young, is the indication when Anna's husband had died, and she had dedicated her entire life to fasting and praying in the temple. Very, very different than Simeon. Simeon came to temple at the point of time. Anna lived there. She basically lived at the temple. Day and night, she was find, you could find Anna there fasting and praying, waiting for Christmas. But she didn't call it that. She was waiting for forgiveness. She was looking forward to the same person Simon was looking forward to, Simeon was looking forward to, but with a different orientation. Simeon was looking for the consolation, a comforter. Anna was looking for forgiveness. We pick up Anna Luke 2, 38. Let's read it. Verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to, here it is, the redemption of Israel. The redemption of Israel. So the word redemption is related back to Israel's captivity. Go back a number of hundred years before. Israel had been in captivity in Egypt and they were not free. They were slaves. And God had promised that they would... There was a promise of their own land, a promise of their future, and that they would be set free from captivity. And so what the commemorative moment of that was, was the Passover. So even to this day, and we as a church, we commemorate communion. We have Easter, and it's the Passover week. It's a commemoration of something that went really thousands of years back to Israel's captivity under Egypt for hundreds of years. 
And they needed to be set free. They needed release. Release from bondage. Something they could not do themselves. It had to be supernatural. That's why the whole story of Moses is an incredibly supernatural story. It couldn't happen because they willed it to happen. Couldn't happen because they simply could, you know, elect a better leader because they were slaves to their masters. It's a picture of us. It's a picture of sin. We are slaves to sin. You can't just work your way out of sin. You can't just live life better. You need something supernatural to deal with what is natural. You can't just get better. You can't just tack a bit of God onto your life and hope it works. There's a place where it's a total surrender. God, come in, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Wash me. Get rid of the old. The Bible says we have to die to the old so that there's a new birth experience. Referred to, John says, it's called being born again. It's like coming a second time, but not through a person. It's being born of his spirit. And we commemorate that through the waters of baptism. That it's a picture of new life. That's what Anna was looking for. Anna's waiting was focused on forgiveness. Note that, looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That we would be set free from the bondages of sin. Jesus really does provide all of that. Hallelujah. Friends, when Jesus came, he provided the very things Simeon and Anna were looking for. I want to say this Christmas Eve. He's worth waiting for. He is worth embracing. He is the comforter. He is the forgiver. He will forgive you of your sins. Jesus is the answer. And perhaps here this morning, maybe you identify. I'm going to start with Simeon. Some of you here, I'm going to hazard a guess, have gone through some very hurtful times recently in your life. Some of you here are very lonely. You might have people around you, but you are very lonely. I find loneliness is never more acute than when you're around people because it just makes you feel more lonely. You have a perception that others aren't. I really don't know if that's that true, that we're hurting, we're feeling lonely. There's maybe a sense of emptiness. you looking at your life, maybe you're early into your, what you believe the rest of your life. You might be midway. You're maybe looking back and there's a sense of emptiness. Maybe fear. I don't know. But here's the point. Wherever we are this Christmas, we are waiting for the comforter. He's, he's here. We don't have to be like Anna that or, or like, like uh, Simeon, who one day, one day, he will come. He's here. As we embrace Christmas, the Comforter is here. And he is here to take what that is, the hurt, the pain, the loneliness, to console you, receive it. Or maybe you identify more with Anna. Uh, you're plagued with guilt this Christmas. This sin has had its way in your life. You feel maybe trapped in patterns of sin and you've been unable to break it off and you need forgiveness. I want to say that Jesus is the forgiver of all sin. I can't think of a better time than Christmas for it. Can you? A better time to receive his forgiveness. I'm going to suggest there's three action steps found in the Christmas story. Three action steps to step into this. 
Here they are, taken from uh, the picture of, of Luke 2, verse 33. It talks about Mary, and it says that when she was told about all these things, it says they marveled at what was said about Jesus. Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about Jesus. I want to suggest, become a marveler. Become a marveler. Become a marveler. Uh, when was the last time something about the Christmas story filled you with wonder? Has it been a while? We kind of got used to the trimmings and trappings in the story. Kind of been there, done it. And we've lost the wonder and marvel. One of the greatest things I appreciate is our children and our children's children. And when Lori and I, a couple of weeks ago, were down visiting our granddaughter, Evangeline, two and a half years old, I remember having her in my arms. We were at a place in Punta Gorda where it's called Fisherman's Village, and we were going through Fisherman's Village, and they had all stuff all lit up. It's a very busy tourist area. And I was carrying, or I was with Evangeline. She was in my arms, but most of the time she was running. And uh, I was with her. And her favorite thing at Christmas time this year really is Frosty the Snowman. Uh, I've never heard Frosty the Snowman more in my life, that song, going to sleep, singing it in my sleep. I've watched it how many times? It was like a 1950-some cartoon, and I've watched it over and over because, it's, you know, she just watches Frosty the Snowman, and all she goes. It was her happy spot. So at Fisherman's Village, they have a 25-foot Frosty the Snowman. Big, He's blowing up one of those blow-up things. And, uh, and we knew it because we'd been there one other time. We knew he was there. I remember watching the anticipation of Evangeline, the wonder as she saw Frosty 25 feet high. And, and, and I, so she's looking at him, I'm looking at her because I'm living through her wonder because that doesn't cause me to wonder. I know how that works, but she doesn't. She's filled with wonder. And I was thinking of that, that when we get older, we, I think one of the crust, what makes us crusty is we lose the ability for wonder. And some of the things I need to pray for, maybe you and I need to pray for, God, give me a sense of wonder again. May we have a sense, I'm going to use the word marvel. She marveled at this. When she heard about what was going to happen and everything, she marveled at it. Now, of course, it was going to be extraordinary. It was going to be totally supernatural. But the ability to marvel, I think that we can embrace the... Him who is our comforter, him who is our forgiver, when we know and we marvel at Christmas. Not, I'm not talking, you know, secular Christmas, commercial Christmas. Marvel at the things of Christmas. I, maybe what we can do is go into the person like Mary and relive what it must have been like. You know, the people around the Christmas story marveled. When I, I looked at the Christmas story and I began to go one to the other, I realized these people knew what it was to marvel at what was happening and to make the holidays holy again. Marvel. Pick one. Mary, Joseph, shepherds, Simeon, Anna, Wiseman. Maybe live a moment through what they must have experienced. Give me a sense of marvel again, Lord. I want to suggest um, that the action step that you help you to experience God's comfort and forgiveness is Become a marveler. Let's become a mover. And I take a look at Simeon, verse 27. It says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Anna, verse 38, says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. 
Uh, becoming a mover. Did you know you, you can't just sit still and do nothing? You need to do something. Do something. Get involved. Step out. Respond. Do something. Be led of the Spirit. You know, everybody around the Christmas story were movers. Everybody but really Herod. Everybody were, was movers. I see Mary was ready to move when she said to the angel, may it be to me as you have said. She moved in. Joseph demonstrated he was a mover when he woke up from his dream. And the Bible says in Matthew 1.24, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. The shepherds were movers. It said in Luke 2.15, let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing. The wise men were movers when they were told about the star and to follow the star and to the Christ child. They went, they followed, they moved. Everybody got up and did something instead of sitting back and waiting to receive. Can I suggest, when you move, when you sense God's doing, be a mover. Be willing to step out. Look for opportunities, even today. Sometimes we're receiving, but look for a way to give to someone. Look for a way to be a blessing to someone. Look for a way to interject somehow and to be a mover in this season. Yes, be a marveler. Be a mover. The last one I want to mention is become a messenger. Uh, it's interesting that as we become marvelers, we can't help but become movers. And then the final step is becoming messengers. Verse 38 she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption. In, in other words, anybody who would listen, she wanted to tell them about the child. She didn't keep it to herself. She was a messenger. Let me tell you. The, see, there's a lot of people don't know the story. They don't know the story. It's broken up, bits and pieces, and it's discombobulated. So share the story. Share the story how it begins. Share the story of how it moves and ends of sin. We need a Savior, Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus came. And then continue the story on through. It doesn't stop there. On through to the place where he sacrificed his life. On your behalf, my behalf, on behalf of our sin. That finished the work that needed to be accomplished. Rose again so that we might have life. That forgiveness might be ours. That we might be comforted. Be messengers of the story. Help walk through that story. So it's not discombobulated. It's not a bunch of fairy tale stuff thrown in. Jesus included, but to walk through the story that we are messengers. Mary was happy to tell anybody who would listen about the story, her story, Jesus' story. So, uh, you know, I want to wrap it up. As you and I, I believe, become marvelers, the wonder of Christmas will astonish you once again. As you become movers, our needs for comfort and forgiveness will be met. And as we take our role as messengers seriously, we'll be in a position to introduce others to the Christ of Christmas so that they in turn can find what they've been waiting for too because they're waiting for something. In a nutshell, Christmas is a marvelous moving message. Christmas is a marvelous moving message. It's not stagnant. And how can we not find what we've been looking for when he is here? I want to close with a story, a story, very wealthy man who had shared a passion for art collecting. He shared that passion with family and friends, his son in particular. They had priceless works by Picasso and Van Gogh adorning the walls of their family estate. 
As winter approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man, the son of the wealthy man, left to serve his country in war. After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram, that horrible telegram. His son had been killed in the line of duty. Distraught, lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season had totally vanished with the death of his dear son. On Christmas morning, a knock at the door awakened the depressed old man. He went to the door. The masterpieces of art on the wall only reminded him that his son would not be coming home that Christmas. He opened the door and was greeted by a soldier, a soldier he had never met, but a soldier who was carrying a large package in his hand, who told the old man, I was a friend of your son. I was the one that he actually rescued when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something I really need to show you. The soldier mentioned that he too was an artist. He proceeded to give the old man a package that he had brought. The paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the man's son. Though the world would never consider it a work of genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man hugged the portrait, or he hung the portrait over the fireplace, pushing aside all his million dollars worth of art. The old man, having placed it there, sat in his chair and would gaze upon the gift given, the portrait of his son. The painting of his son soon became his most, prized possession, his most prized possession, far eclipsing his interest in all the other artworks that one time were his passion and pride. He had a house that was really a museum full of world-renowned art, something any museum would clamor for. But that old man loved the portrait of his son. The following spring, the old man died. The art world waited with anticipation for the upcoming auction of all his priceless art. According to the will of the old man, all the artwork would be auctioned off on Christmas Day, the day he received that tremendous gift, the portrait of his son. The day soon arrived, and the art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled that day. They would have the painting of their choice, priceless art. The auction began with a painting that was not on anyone's list, not on any museum's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bidding at $100, $100, $100? No one spoke. Finally, someone said, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's move on to the priceless paintings. The auctioneer responded, no, we have to sell this one first. Now, who will take the son? And finally, a neighbor of the old man offered $10. He said, that's all I have. I knew the boy. I'd like to have a picture of the boy. The auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. And the gavel fell. Cheers filled the room because people were ready to get on with the treasures. The auctioneer then looked at the room filled with people and announced 
the auction is over. Everyone, of course, was stunned. Someone spoke up and said, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a painting of someone's son. There are millions of dollars worth here. Art, what is going on? And the auctioneer simply replied, it's very simple, actually. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. You've heard the story? Whoever takes the Son gets it all. It kind of puts things in perspective, that story. The message is really the message of Christmas, I guess. Because of the Father's love, whoever takes the Son, all these other things will be added unto you. Will you take him? What are you waiting for? It's a him you're waiting for. It's Christ this Christmas. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca